Welcome, my friends. It's always good to be with you, the Bishop and the Moose. I'm the Bishop, Barry Klingen, and I'm joined by uh, Kirk Moose, the Moose, uh, mooseministriesinc.com. And uh, we enjoy coming together on these nights to share some things from the Scripture that can be encouraged with you, and we're looking forward uh, tonight uh, to be together. I'm very excited about our topic tonight, Pastor, that, you know, we really want to get into how to, how does a person defeat an Elijah generation? But before we get into how do you defeat them, maybe we need to kind of set this thing up just a little bit. What is an Elijah generation? That's a good question. We actually covered that one time on one of our former Bishop Moose talks. And really what we recognize of a great teaching from Scripture and that is the, the teaching that, that uh, before the coming of the Lord, there is always an Elijah spirit. Uh, the Jewish people from the Old Testament scriptures have the promise that before the coming of the Lord, Elijah will come. They put a chair out for him at their Seder service during Passover, uh, expecting him to show up one year. And uh, so we believe that. But more spiritually, we look in and see yes. that because John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord. And how did he do that? He had, as the angel prophesied over him, he would come in the spirit and power of Elijah. So that takes us to today to say before the Lord returns with his second coming, we as a church, is go we're going to have that spirit and power on us as, as Elijah the prophet had. And it'll be that spirit that and prepares the way for the coming of the Lord. But the question is, what was the question you asked there? Well, how do you defeat an Elijah generation? So we're kind of channeling our inner C.S. Lewis who wrote the screw tape letters where he uh, talked about how demons talk and defeat uh, Christians. We're kind of looking at it from the enemy's side. How would the enemy try to defeat that spirit? Well, we go back to Elijah. And Elijah's the prototype, the real prophet Elijah, who ministered in uh, those days in Israel's dark history where he called the prophets of Baal to a test uh, out uh, upon the mountain of Mount Carmel and achieved great victory and ultimately the nation turned back to God. But in the process of that, we learn some things about what happened to Elijah because oh, yeah. here's Elijah, this great prophet who has called for it not to rain. It hasn't rained for three years. Now he's called for the showdown on light and he's won the showdown. God answered by fire. But then the wicked queen Jezebel uh, turns and tells him and gets word to him with a threat. I'm going to kill you before the day's over. And he, in a sense, tucks tail and runs. So we oh, begin yeah. to find out how the enemy is going to use something to defeat it. And we do that by looking at Elijah and what, what he did when he ran and what was going on in his thought processes. Uh, that's how he feeds. I'd say this too, Kirk. You know, a lot of preachers, we all understand that just as Elijah, the prophet, lived and served his generation and died, uh, but yet that spirit and power of Elijah, that ministry of Elijah, is going to continue on people preparing for the Lord. So as we have long understood, Jezebel herself uh, becomes that prototype of the evil spirit. She died, but the spirit that controlled her continued on and has harassed the people of God throughout many generations. We find in Revelation chapter 2, when Jesus is writing to the churches of Asia Minor in the first century, he speaks to the church at Thyatira and said, I have this one thing against you. You allow Jezebel to teach in your church. And so it's that Jezebel spirit that defeats uh, the people of, of, of God that are trying to prepare for the coming of the Lord. And by the way, it's not just... Um, I believe it's not just 
the preparation that will be upon a church for the coming of the Lord. I believe before the Lord shows up in power on a church, on a city, on a nation, there's going to be a preparation. There's always that preparation for his arrival. And I believe even in that, Jezebel fights. That spirit does. And the answer clearly to that question is she so frustrates the servant and the leader of God that he finds himself in a dark place. That's it. He basically is restricted in his mind, almost like a boa constrictor constricts its prey. It basically completely suffocates and completely overwhelms the person, the prophet, the individual that's called to what? Rebuild. Because, yes. you know, that's what happened. You know, you and I talked, I think, like you said, a couple sessions ago that, you know, Elijah, he rebuilt the altar of God. Mm-hmm. Not only did he rebuild it, but he poured water on it, yes. which can be a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And then he turns around and calls fire from heaven, which in itself should say, okay, God, You've got my back. <laughs> you know, who can stand against me? You just consumed the altar, the water, the sacrifice. There's nothing left. Mm-hmm. But like you just mentioned, when Jezebel threw out that threat, mm-hmm. he somehow allowed his thought life to go somewhere. And that thought led to fear. Mm-hmm. And that fear ran, I mean, it ran him right out of town. It did. And it put him, like we talked about, I think, last session, in a cave. Mm-hmm. It basically, he became restricted and completely overwhelmed to the point to where he withdrew to a cave and became completely out of sight, completely out of mind, and pretty much ineffective for a season of his life because he no longer was in a position to where he could speak to the people. That is, uh, that is, that is it. And, you know, in, in previous times of talk, We've dealt with it on a personal level of how uh, different people find themselves in depression or full of anxiety uh, because of threats over their life and then how they get in dark places. Here what we're looking at is the bigger picture of how the enemy's strategy, you know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians not to be ignorant That's of right. the enemy's devices, of his methodia, of his methods, of what he's doing. And so this is one way to learn. This is how he strikes. Because, you know, it's really an interesting thing. It's so clear before us in Scripture what the enemy does. But he keeps doing it because it keeps being effective. And uh, the only way we're going to defeat that is get in the Scriptures, see what he does, and then learn and defeat that. So we need to be prepared. As God wants to send an awakening to the church, as he wants to uh, revive us for a new, fresh outpouring of the Lord and for ultimately his second coming into this world, we need to know this is the way the enemy is going to come after all of us and come after us as a church. He's going to try to get our thinking turned around. And we said this on a on, on a personal level, but you know we got to look at it in that big way. When we find ourselves in that anxiety and that depression, we want to seek out people that confirm that we're thinking right when we're not thinking right. In other words, we'll seek it out in music. We'll start listening to depressing music when we're depressed. We'll look for people and say, hey, I need some help. But we're really not asking for help. We want someone to make us feel better about the position Perfect we're in. Perfect point in case is a man that's dealing with pornography. Yes. He calls up his buddy. Yeah. John, <laughs> you know, you know, you and I are accountability partners, but, you know, this is what happened and blah, blah, blah. And John says, you know, Todd, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Everybody slips up. Yes. It's going to be okay. God understands you're a man. It's all okay. Well, he's not 
holding you truly accountable because he's dealing with the same thing and he doesn't want to feel bad himself for the slip up he had five minutes ago. And so instead of really saying, you know what, let me pray with you. Yes. Let me pray that you have strength. Yes. You know, God will forgive you, but let's pray that he strengthens you so you don't go back there. You, you know, let me say something here because you said that I have written down here right here the exact same thing you just said, and in another instance. Oh wow! So how does a man ever that's a Christian man that serves in the church that you know walks with God, loves his family? How does he just one day wake up and leave his wife? And look Come at this! On. Look at these points that I wrote down here. I said first thing he gets these feelings. I don't want to be married. Now that's where it starts because that's it's starting to attack. The enemy's putting thoughts in your mind to do that. But then what do you do? Seek out men who don't like their wives. You know, thirdly, get together, go bowling, and form the I Hate My Wife Club. It talks about how bad they've got it. Listen to music about people with bad relationships. Watch movies that agree with your assessment. And then walk away from your marriage. That's the progression. You said you nailed it. Whether it's pornography or whether That's it's right. walking away from our Christian commitments or anything, it all begins with that thought. No one ever wakes up one day and say, I'm going to do this big sin. It's a progression in our life. And one thing we know about Satan, he is a patient fisherman. He'll put the hook out there sometimes for years until he gets that right point where he can set the hook in us and, and bring about some destruction in life. So what we're talking about, coming back to our, our thinking here, is how do we as a church today uh, begin to recognize this is how the enemy operates? Yeah. And I think we go back to Elijah, and we look at some of the mistakes that, that, that he made. I, I thought about this. Just listen to these and tell me if this isn't right, uh, Kirk. Here's what Elijah did. When, and, again, he had this great victory. Yes. And now he's walking away from it. Okay. First thing he did. Oh, he's he, not walking. He's running. He's running. That's it. He and ran it, for his and, life. And it says he yeah. outran the chariot. Yeah, he sure did. You know, he, he ran for his life. What does that symbolize? Running from problems, not dealing with That's them. That's right. All right. He went into the wilderness. That's a barren place. Immediately you wake up, the vitality of your Christian experience is not there. You're not walking with God. You're not praying. You're not uh, participating with uh, other men and discipleship and those type things. Thirdly, he prayed to die. That's when you get to the point where you just give up hope. It's not going to happen. You know, we're kind of talking about this here, and I'm, I'm just stopping in the middle here because I just want you to know as a pastor, I have seen this happen so many times, especially men, but it can be women as well, that shipwreck their lives because they start down that process. And sometimes it's almost as if as a pastor, not not literally, but you're up in the pulpit and you're constantly watching people begin to isolate themselves, begin to pull themselves away from their hands at the fire. And then all at once they quit coming, they quit participating. And then before long, they're doing things that you never thought they would do. And they're turning their back on their commitment, doing uh, untold things. It, it bothers me when I see that. It, it hurts me. And so we're talking about real stuff here when we talk about that. You know, he prayed to die. He gave up hope. He also said this. Uh, when he was in that cave, he said, I'm the only one that's going through this. I'm the only one that stands, you know, and that's when you get to the place where he said, you know, I confess I'm the only one left. That's a victim mentality. It's just me. No one's ever right. had the problems I have. No one's ever, you know, in the special position I'm in. And then, of course, the last thing, he actually went in the cave. He was in a dark place. All of that is the enemy. All of that, Kurt, came from Jezebel making one threat. That's it. It never happened. It was a threat. It was a word that she released that never happened. She did not take his life. 
God's his life was in God's hands, you know. But because he believed that, look at all those things that happened. He walked away, got in the cave, all of those things. What what a process. You know, it's amazing that we can allow a situation that maybe could have kind of happened, mm-hmm. but never happens. Yes. But could happen. Yes. And because it could happen, fear grips our heart. It's a, it's a threat. Mean, it doesn't matter if you're Elijah. Yes. Or if you're you or me or John down the road or, you know, Chris up the up the way. You know, it could even be your job. Mm-hmm. I'm so worried that I'm going to lose my job mm-hmm. because of X, Y, and Z and blah, blah, blah. You know what? Guess what? Yes. Everyone faces situations. Yes. God still sits on the throne. Yes. And if for some reason you've done everything you can do and you've stood and you've stood and you've stood, God still has provision on the table. He tells us in the Word that have I not washed after the lilies in the valley and the birds of the field, mm-hmm. why would I not just as much more take care of you? Well, if he has provision for the birds and the lilies and the grass of the field, he has so much more for you and me. That's exactly right. I, I always, I've, I've said this. I don't know how many times I've said this in the last year. Uh, I've said that, you know, this story, it's a made-up story, I'm sure, but it was an older man about to die, and a young man is talking to him and learning from him, and the old man that's about to die lived a long life. He said this, I've lived a long life. I've worried about a lot of things, and some of them actually happened. That's it. That is the greatest little quote there. And, you know, that kind of plays into the idea of why the enemy will get a threat in our lives. We'll start, I'm going to lose my job. All these things you're saying, I'm going to lose my job. They don't even happen. But we start we start acting, and we start losing our joy. We start losing our effectiveness all over a threat from the enemy that's not even going to take place. And uh, so I think that the recognition of this is the recognition that this is how the enemy will defeat an Elijah church, you know, by releasing these threats upon them. You know, something just crossed my mind, and let's just chat about this for just a moment. I remember listening to a Jewish rabbi talk one time at Abba's house, where you and I both Mm -hmm. were ordained, and he was talking about how, as Gentiles, we tend to have a Roman, Greek, Grecian outlook on life. Mm -hmm. So God says we are more than overcomers and that we're sitting at the right hand of the Father, but and from our perspective, we're looking from here to mm-hmm. there. But from the Jewish perspective, they're trained to look at what God said they are and then look from where he says to where they oh, are. That's so good. So what would happen if mm. instead of just looking from our current situation, we said, hmm, I could possibly lose my job over this. Mm-hmm. And we instead started looking at it and saying, okay. If the Lord says I'm more than an overcomer, and I did happen to lose my job, how would I see it unfold, and what's the next step? Yes, yes. What if we started reverse engineering, so to speak, (laughs) our life, like you would reverse engineer a car, a computer, Mm, or anything else, and begin to say, okay, God says this is who I am. Mm -hmm. So I can see this, no matter what my current situation is, how am I going to get to where he says I'm going to be? What if we took that outlook? Now, you don't want to get me started on that because I, I'm tell you, I think, the, and I really love the application you're making here, but, you know, the church of Jesus Christ does not have our foundation in Greek thought and Greek life. It has our foundation in Jewish Hebraic life, but yet yep. we have modeled almost everything in that area, and I think of it like this, architecture. 
For so long, we built our churches with Greek idea of a shotgun, and we call it approach, where you have a pulpit at the top or at the center, and there's long pews or chairs of people that sit. And what do they do? It's an auditorium, auditory. They come to hear. But but our worship in, in Jewish is come oh, to come participate on. with one another and all of these things. And thank God we're rediscovering that. But look at that. Not only just our architecture, but look at our patterns of thinking. And what you just said there is incredible. If we're going to do that, it's not just a good idea. That's the biblical way we should think That's from it. God to our experience, not our experience to God. And, you know, we could go on and on about the Greek idea. The Greek idea is logical. The Greek idea is always line upon line and, and, and linear. And the Hebrew had a way of thinking that's completely different than that. And when we embrace that, we can understand the scriptures. You can't understand the book of Revelation without understanding the Hebraic background and, and context of that. It makes no sense to us because every one of us wants to take Revelation and draw a linear line. That's right. This happens, then this happens, and this happens. That's why we have all the charts and maps, but that's not what it's about. When you think like the Hebraic thought, then you think more big picture you know and all you know the feelings and emotions are very important in that and all and so many other things so you you've made a great point there that when we if we learn to think like god tells us to think we're preparing ourselves to defeat the enemy who's trying to keep yeah. us from coming because if we think the way you're saying kurt we're going to become the elijah church and we're going to stop that and he wants to stop that and think about this if we begin to apply that it's no longer about me. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm now put him back on the throne. Yes, I've said, yes. Holy Spirit, who do you say that I am? Yeah. Oh, I'm more than an overcomer. Well, this doesn't seem like I'm an overcoming situation. Well, <laughs> okay. So, what needs to happen so that I align myself with who you say I am? Mm-hmm. And we stop allowing ourselves to be defeated. But what? Let's go back to Elijah just for a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, Elijah being Hebrew, he would have had that line of thinking, but at the same time. He's not immune from the attack of the enemy. There you go. So even Elijah yes. had a moment where something overwhelmed him, and the spirit of Python, the spirit of Jezebel, comes in and puts the, ch- the stranglehold on him. Mm-hmm. Basically, for a moment, he's not thinking, he's focused on the situation, and he becomes overwhelmed, and he panics. I, I think one of the things with that, Kirk, and I think you'd agree with me on this, that you know when, when Elijah got in that cave, and, and, you know, you're right very much. And I love what, by the way, James, the uh, writer in the New Testament, says this about Elijah. He was a man of like passions. That's right. In other words, he was just a human being like we are. He wasn't some super, you know, uh, human being. He was just one like us. So he, therefore, fell prey to that. But when he got into the cave, he said, I and I alone am standing for the Lord God. That's right. And he told God that. And, I, you know, it doesn't say this at all or imply this, but I'm sure God chuckled a little bit and said, you don't know who I have. I have hey, people. Come on. I have folks that have never bowed the knee to Baal that you don't even know about. You're not alone. But the principle there is this, that I think one of the key ways to be insulated uh, from that attack that takes us down that road uh, that Elijah went down and got, ended up in the cave is a is one that has to be connected with other believers and and with men especially because it's very hard for us to do this but for men to have those covenant relationships and a brotherhood that you know it's not you know uh, holding accountable and all of that in a in a legalistic way it's brothers it's people who love each other and they're friends with each other and do that I, I go back to when I became a Christian. 
I was so green. I knew nothing about the Bible. And I was so excited for the Lord after I got saved. I was a senior in high school. I was reading my Bible and all that. And then there was a point in time, I don't know how long, maybe a couple of months in, where I blew it big time. And I remember thinking, well, that was it for me. You know, there's no hope for me now. I mean, I didn't know any anything any better. I thought once he forgave you, if you messed up again, you can't get go back through and get saved again. So what? It's all over me. So I didn't go to a discipleship group that night with my fellow friends. And my, my good friend called me on the phone that night at home. No cell phones in those days. He called me at my uh, at my house where I was living, and I answered the phone. He said, why weren't you at the discipleship group? And I said, well, it was fun while it lasted, but I blew it, and I have no hope. And he took the scripture. This sounds so innocent, and it was at the time. And he said, let me read First John 1, 9 with you. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just. And I remember the light going on in me like, wow, you mean he forgives us again, you know. He forgives the ongoing, and I, I was growing and learning that. But take that simple, you know, truth that I had learned then, and multiply it into your life today. Not a one of us, not me, not Kirk, not anyone, is immune to being picked off, you know, and doing that way. But with a group of men around you, or a group of friends that are, you know, sowing into your life, you you, you well, have a much better chance. And here's the thing: even if you find yourself in the middle of a situation where, you know. You feel like you've already messed up. You're in the cave. Guess what? God makes provision. Yes. You know, what did yes. he do with Elijah? Yeah. He brought bread. Yeah, that's right. He sure you know, did. And, Supernaturally. And the other time when he was in the cave, when God had him in the cave, and he goes, and the journey's too great for you. He gave him bread, manna mm. from heaven. Yes. So he makes the provision in that moment when you don't really have yourself in the right place. Mm. He's already got the provision lined out. And he's already made a way. What? Well, there's no way. I always relate this to sermons because I'm a preacher. But I preached a sermon one time, and that said, don't give up an angel's on the way. And you think yep. about that in Daniel's life when Daniel was praying and spiritual warfare broke out and the angel was hindered in getting to him. And you think about the angels that came. I mean, you know, it, it, you know, don't get off subject here, but I'm just saying, right. you know, don't give up at that moment like you say. I mean, there's it's supernaturally God's going to feed him. And boy, there's another whole thing. God's going to blow your mind because God used an unclean animal to feed him, which was abhorrent to a Jew. But you never know what methods God's going to use to surprise you with. But here's the bottom line. He is going to feed you. He's going to provide for you. And if it takes an angel showing up, if it takes ravens showing up with food, if it takes whatever it takes, God's going to do it supernaturally to get you there. So you don't give up in doing that. That's another whole aspect of not just being with friends, but having a deep and abiding faith that God is not going to let me down. He's never done it before. He will not do it this time as, as well. So, you know, you start seeing these things, Kurt. That answers the question. And, and you know, we could go so much further and deeper just in Elijah's life of learning that. But I think the foundation verse is do not be ignorant of, of Satan's methods. So, therefore, we should be aware of our enemy's tactics. I, along with many others, read the old Chinese classic many years ago, Sun Tzu, The Art of War. They used it at West Point, and they used it in all these places, learning the battlefield techniques. And everybody's pointing out what he said in there when he said, you know, if you know your enemy, uh, then you, ha- you, you, will, you will succeed. If you don't know your enemy, you don't have a chance. It says, so understand who your enemy is. Well, God said that long before, uh, you know, or, or more uh, clear, I should say, than Sun Tzu. He said it, you know, when we're not to be ignorant of his methods. So his is a method he uses. So don't let the enemy isolate you in your mind 
And don't right. let him isolate you physically where you're beginning to draw away from those that are closest to you and helping you. If you do, you need to understand that's hindering the Elijah church uh, being in its fullness to prepare the way for a visitation of the Lord. Brother, I've got so many things hitting my <laughs> mind right now, just probably like you are, and it's like I want to dig into them, but I don't know that we have enough time tonight to dig <laughs> no. into them. Um, I want to lightly touch, and I mean very lightly, because if we go into spiritual uh, warfare and uh, those type of things, we could go really deep. But I think a lot of times people find themselves in a situation where they have fiery darts coming against them. Yes. And they don't understand the term fiery dart. They're just thinking like a dart that comes mm-hmm. at them and it's on fire. Oh, okay, and the shield's going to block it. They forget. A fiery dart was an arrow dipped in some sort of flammable material that when it struck its opponent, it consumed the opponent in fire. Mm-hmm. And so it's not saying that the devil has more power than you or I or the, or the Lord, but it's giving us a picture of what the devil's trying to throw at us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've got the shield of faith. But even with the shield of faith, we need the water of the word. Yes. Yes. Because the water of the word is what's going to extinguish all of those fiery darts of the enemy. You know, I had somebody years ago tell me, you know, uh, I don't believe in all that spiritual warfare. Jesus has won the victory. You know, I don't need all that. And, And I said, well, why did Paul tell us to put on the whole armor of God? And then, by the way, that's a present tense verb. So we go on putting on the armor of God. you got to do it again and again and again. In other words, each day, each moment that I'm being protected, uh, it's very obvious, yes, Jesus has won the victory, and we are enforcing it against the enemy. There's no doubt about that. But look at the militant language that is brought into the New Testament to describe our, and this is important, our spiritual warfare. You know, it's a warfare going on in the spirit, and the battle is always in our mind, as is proven in Elijah's life. Uh, in, in doing that. So, you know, marching design means that we need to learn basic training. We need to learn spiritual for warfare. We need to learn what the uh, the methods of the enemy uh, are and how he uses them effectively against us. And I think tonight, just asking that simple question uh, yep. leads us into a thing that ought to bring us to a new place of anointing, of spiritual fullness of recognition of how the enemy is going to try to take us out and make us ineffective, and therefore the Lord is not it's not prepared, and and the Lord doesn't show up in power. So we certainly don't want that. So we've looked at it kind of the the back way here of what the enemy does, and it's an effective tool to get our minds equipped to do the battle there. And I, I will say this, can I real quickly? Oh, go ahead and say that you know there's a verse that's, that's been real close to my heart for two years. Uh, the Lord has spoke to my heart about how. You know, prepare my people, and yes. uh, and it's a verse in Proverbs where he basically says, if you uh, faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. So I think the church is in a mode today of preparation and of getting equipped with these truth and knowledge of spiritual warfare and so much more, so that we can defeat an enemy that's trying to defeat a large church from coming on this earth. That's exactly right. Yes. And, and I would encourage anybody that's listening to this. You know, begin to seek the Lord and ask him, say, God, show me areas of my life where I've allowed the enemy to overwhelm my mind. And then begin to yield those things to him. Yes. And then just begin to find men of God that will challenge you. Yes. It's kind of like if you really want to set up a successful business, are you going to actually find yes men? (laughs) A lot of people do that. I do. And they fall on their face. Yes. 
But when you want a successful business, you want the guy that's going to say, for, for an example, let's say you're coming to me, you'd say, Kirk, why did you do this with mm-hmm. your ministry? Why did you do this with your business? Or why did you do this with this? You want the person that's going to ask you the hard questions. Why? Because they're going to challenge you to grow. They're going to challenge what you're doing to make sure you don't fall on your face. And that's what you and I need. That's what everybody out mm-hmm. there needs. We need someone that will hold us to a higher level of accountability than what we're currently living at. I got, you know, just in responding to that is so good that you said that so right. Through the years, I have noticed when I see businessmen saying, I'm going to be sure I'm not surrounding myself with yes men, but then they turn around and do that very thing. Yep. And remember this, when you go down this road, it is the natural tendency of a natural man to go forward and find people that confirm what you're feeling. And that's the wrong thing. So it is imperative what Kirk said to find a way to surround yourself with people in a church. You know, it's easy to find a church that confirms everything you think. That's right. You know, find one that challenges you. If you keep hearing what you've always heard, you'll keep doing what you've always done. Man, that's You've great. got to find some new streams and some new things that challenge you in doing that. And I pray that for the church to have that, that power on it. Our time is running out. It this is, is running good. out. This is really good. Well, guys, we want to encourage you, stay in touch with us. If you need any kind of prayer, you can reach out to Pastor Barry at bclingon at trophylakes.org, or you can go to mooseministriesinc.com. You can click on the prayer link, and then you can submit your prayer request there. You can also hit us up with the uh, contact form if you just want to say hi and find out more about what's going on. You can also check out one of our wonderful friends, yes. uh, Jose, back yeah. in Peru. Well, he's actually yeah. down in Peru. Yeah. And you could check out all that he's got going on down there. And you, we just posted a video on the site that really gives you a walkthrough of the school of ministry that they're currently building. And I think Pastor Barry said it perfectly about a week or two ago when he said it really shows the uh, encapsulation of a vision that yes. Pastor Jose had whenever yeah. he was, he really had his vision. He had a and, vision and had no contacts. It, yeah, it had no contacts. God put this thing in his heart yeah. and it completely is coming to pass now. It, it's not completely finished, but it's, it's, getting, it's there. getting close. It's getting there. And so you can check that out. More videos about Pastor yes. Jose. You can also find out more episodes with Bishop and Moose. Yes. And uh, we hope you come by and take a look. God bless you guys. God bless you.